TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore, and Ann Baldwin. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Connection. It's so great to have you along with us on this Sunday morning. I'm Ann Baldwin, as you just heard, one of your hosts of this program, and Lisa DeMattis-Lapore, the president and CEO of The Connection. She's spending some much deserved time with her mother. So, of course, I've got my other trusty colleague here, Beth Connor, who's also from The Connection, who's always a great uh co-host with me. Beth, thanks for filling in for Lisa. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ann. Always a pleasure. It sure is. And I'm so excited uh, for you to introduce our next guest, because as we all know, you know, COVID is one thing, but some of the problems that we have in our society are just constant, right? Like incarceration and substance abuse and all of those things. So our next guest has really taken those issues and moved it to the next step. And so I'll let you go ahead and do the honors because you set up this interview of introducing Patrick. Thanks, Ann. So I'm very pleased to present uh, one of my colleagues at The Connection, Patrick Fallon. And uh, Patrick is the Director of Community Justice Services, um, which is a a large uh, job at The Connection. He oversees all of our reentry programs. And he has been with The Connection since 2005 in different capacities. Um, Patrick is always very creative in finding um, solutions for uh, situations that happen. And, of course, with COVID going on right now, uh, we've been asked in many ways to conduct our services a little bit differently. Um, You know, nonprofits are figuring it out when they need to see people and uh, to provide services for folks. And Patrick is just a a shining example of someone who has taken a difficult situation and turned it into something positive for a lot of people. So with that, I would uh, love to introduce our listeners to Patrick. Hi, Patrick. Hi, how are you? Thank you. Um, As you said, I've, I've been with The Connection since 2005. Um... I actually started working as a case manager at one of our work release programs and transferred from there to our behavioral health outpatient centers and transferred from outpatient to our family support housing department. Uh, But my passion always lied with 
helping individuals reenter from incarceration. Um, growing up in my neighborhood, I, 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 I was touched by this personally. I saw a lot of um, people struggling to reenter successfully from incarceration. There was like little opportunity. There was no hope. So, so my passion lies in instilling hope in people that are, are returning to the community from incarceration. I think hope is one of the biggest keys to success. If somebody doesn't Absolutely. have hope, then then they don't really think that they're going to make it. So, uh, you know, one Absolutely. of one of the mantras within my program is that we instill hope. Can and I ask confidence you confidence in people that they can successfully do this? So, Patrick, can I ask yeah. you a question? Um, I always wondered when someone is incarcerated and then they're released, does the state give them anything to give them a head start? I just can't imagine, you know, taking off your, your prison uniform and given, be, being given the bag of your possessions, which is probably maybe a watch and an outfit and some shoes and saying, good luck. You know, we hope to not see you again. Um, what kind of resources are provided to these individuals? Any? Resources that are provided to these individuals are such as the programs I oversee statewide. Um, they they depend a lot on the nonprofit sector to provide services such as case management, substance abuse treatment, um, vocational training, um, and employment searching. So, so the Department of Corrections relies, and the state as a whole, relies heavily on the nonprofit sector to provide these services. Um, one of the challenges I've found since doing this work at the capacity I'm at right now is that uh, there's not much goodwill overall from the public when it comes to uh, people reentering society. There tends to be a stigma attached to those incarcerated that um, they deserve what they have and, you know, there's very little money. Um, where, on the other hand, if you look at behavioral health health services, women and children, homeless, there's, there's, a, there's a much larger pot of money available from the government for those services. So, so often I find myself competing with um, a lot of other agencies for a small pot of money to provide the best services we can provide. So, Patrick, you said there is a stigma that comes with folks coming out of incarceration. I get that. So how do you break that? Why should we have a different attitude when it comes to perhaps employing these people or supporting these people once they're let go? Well, my, my, one, of, one of the um, speeches that I, I love to give when I'm at the legislative office building is that, you know, from a, from a societal standpoint, um, if these people are successful, they contribute to society. So, so the ultimate goal for me is to take somebody who, for lack of a better term, may have a, been a drain on state taxes to becoming a tax contributor, where they're actually contributing to the overall good of the state through taxes, also through just being, being um, um, good citizens. Um, being being fathers and mothers to their children, a lot of a lot of what I see is very generational. Um, children grow up, they see their parents incarcerated, it becomes normalized, 
And what happens is when they reach a certain age, you know, unfortunately, they just sort of accept the reality of what they grew up with. That At some point, it's totally normal for them to be incarcerated, and, and, and I really strive to break that cycle. And we've had a lot of success stories, right, Patrick, uh, over the years? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I... I, I can't count the number of times where I may be in a store or at an, in, an event and somebody who went through one of our programs will come up to me and thank me um, and, and thank the connection for the services we provided. Talk a little bit about the types of services that are provided. I know we have you know several different programs um, under your jurisdiction, but what kinds of services are there out there and how do folks, once they are released from incarceration, how do they reintegrate into society? What are the steps through our programs? So, through our programs, um, Department of Corrections will make what you call a referral to our program. Um, we overlook the referral to ensure that they don't have medical needs that exceed our capacity to, to handle, that, that they have mental health needs that don't exceed their capacity to successfully operate in a program with with a congregate population. Um, unfortunately, some mental illnesses do not do very well when they're surrounded by, you know, uh, 30, 40 men at the same time. So so we screen for that. We, we, we let DOC know whether or not we accept the person. We very, very rarely um, deny a person. Um, any denials to any programs within my department actually come from me after the manager and the director of that program explained to me exactly why we're going to make a denial. Um, once the individual enters our program, um, we assess them. Uh, our overall goal is to reduce their risk to recidivate. So what we do is we actually measure different parts of them, such as education, leisure, employment, substance um, history, mental health, um, friends and family. We actually assess a multitude of things with the client and identify what their highest risk sections are, and then they will sit with the case manager and formulate what we call a treatment plan to address those high-risk areas with the goal of bringing down the overall risk. So, so you know, uh, when they get in a program, if, say, for instance, they have no employment history, they, they didn't complete their education at high school, a treatment plan may look something like a client enrolling in night school or, or adult education while simultaneously working with our vocational specialists to formulate a resume, learn how to explain their time in, incarcerated, um, interview, and then actually retain a job, which is one of our biggest issues when, when, when it comes to employment is a lot of our guys lack the soft skills to retain a job once they have actually obtained a job. Um, so we do a lot of what, what I call back-end work on the vocational side 
where we not only train people, get their resumes set up, do mock interviews with them, help them secure a job, we hold groups where we work on soft skills, um, employment etiquette, so that, so that people are able to maintain a job and keep it while they're looking for their next opportunity. Wow, it sounds like a lot of wraparound services, which is exactly what, you know, apparently leads to success. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Patrick Fallon, and he's the Director of Community Justice Services at The Connection. And Patrick, uh, you know, I have to say, in reading and doing my my background work for, for this interview, you've done all this and you've been pursuing and passionate about your job while also going through some of your own personal hardships. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I... Um I, I, back in March, I would say, I was displaced, me and my, my three grandchildren and two dogs by a house fire. Um, we ended up in a hotel for almost three months. Ironically, it was <clears throat> at the height of when um, COVID started ramping up. So it was a bit of a challenge to, to try to juggle both being displaced in a hotel and formulating these operation and contingency plans for each of the programs where we would uh, set aside quarantine sections for, for any clients that were symptomatic, uh, putting protocols in place for, for staff and clients to wear masks, taking temperatures, um, constantly reinforcing the importance of following these protocols for, for, for staff and clients' own safety. So it was a bit of a, a juggling act for a little while. Um, it kept me busy. But this is, this is a great example, though, of who Patrick is. Um, Patrick takes the highest mountain and, and climbs it and has, has done that in his work here at The Connection for, you know, many years. Um, one of the, while this was going on, Patrick, um, the Department of Correction asked you to open a new program, correct? Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Well, it was, it, it was a direct result of, of the COVID pandemic. Um, while formulating these op- operation and contingency plans for COVID and setting aside quarantine spaces and and, and and really taking a realistic view of if people will adhere to the protocols that are in place, particularly clients. What I recognized was that there was a real danger for uh, COVID to actually run, run rampant within uh, a congregate program such as one of my halfway houses. That began a conversation with the Department of Corrections that, you know, though I can do everything in my power to quarantine people, to feed them in their room, to, I really think we need to um, pull individuals out of programs once, they, once they're diagnosed positive with COVID. Um, shortly after that conversation, I received a phone call, and they agreed with me and asked me if I'd be willing to um, utilize a new program space in Montville that had yet to be open uh, to create a program specifically for individuals coming 
back to the community from incarceration within halfway houses that tested positive for COVID. Um, I, I was very passionate that this was needed. I agreed to take this on and was told, well, they would like it open within two weeks. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, <laughs> I remember that I mean, time. That, was, that but, was a big scramble, Patrick. Uh, that was a bit of a, a shock, uh, but it kept. I, you know, I'm really grateful for it. It kept me busy through through a difficult time. Uh, you know, being displaced with the fire, homeschooling three three children, uh, maintaining two dogs in a hotel, and and then having this on my plate, it really took my mind off of what I was going through personally, you know, so I was able to actually sit down and compartmentalize situations better. Um, you know, I had to write a proposal. Uh, the proposal went back and forth with the Department of Corrections and, and internally in the agency several times. There had to be protocols written for this program. Uh, these protocols had to align with, with CDC and Department of Public Health guidelines for how 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 to manage the the covid virus um so that there was a lot of work um you know we really do i I must say we have some amazing staff at the agency um i i reached out to staff that were currently employed and actually asked for volunteers to work at this program um, because there's a risk associated with it, right? <laughs> there, it, you know, it's it's very interesting you say that. Um, there, there is a risk um, working in this program. However, um, Department of Corrections was great. They got us all the personal protection equipment that we needed that I asked for. Um, myself. And some of their medical staff did a tour of the program and set it up in a manner in which there were. I actually put tape lines in the hallway where clients could not pass and where staff could not pass to maintain six feet of social distancing as well as the PPE when when our staff were were interacting with these clients. Um, it. it it, it, it was a very interesting situation. It was, but there was medical support. Oh, yes, we 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 have a nurse that comes through and um, checks daily, a couple of times daily, temperatures, symptoms, um, which which is the other ironic thing, and was really a wake up call for me, um, as I would be at that program um, upon its inception the first couple of weeks, we we got a huge influx of people into the program. Um, I mean, our census was as high as 24 individuals at one time. And what I began to notice as Department of Correction vans would pull up um, and, and bring these individuals into the program, I, over 90% of them were asymptomatic. Mm, no symptoms at all other than maybe a slight fever, but just as normal as anybody else you would see in a grocery store. There was no way to tell that they actually 
were positive for coronavirus. Wow. That was a real wake-up call. It actually personally helped me to, to really instill in my children how serious this is. And you cannot tell by looking at somebody whether or not they are contagious or not. Right. Because, you, like you said, they're asymptomatic. So if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Patrick Fallon, the director of the Community Justice Services at The Connection. And we should also mention, you know, since the Department of Correction asked you, Patrick, to start this program where they could pretty much hand off, you know, any folks who had tested positive for COVID, and that was in April of this year, uh, according to what I read, 61 people have actually recovered there from 18 different uh, Department of Correction programs in Connecticut. Is that true? Yeah, it's actually 62 now. All right, we, congratulations. We're we, yeah, <laughs> we, we have uh, one person in the program who's discharging today, um, yeah, who's tested negative. You know, one of, one of the interesting things, when we look at the numbers and, and, and we look at all the protocols that were put in place, one of the most shocking things to me is that it's the only program in my residential network of care that I oversee that did not have one staff member test positive for coronavirus. Wow, that says a lot. And 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 that well that's really a tribute to the staff. Yep. And 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 how hyper vigilant they were that they made sure they followed every protocol whenever interacting with with the people that were positive i mean they've done a stellar job of really adhering to every protocol that was created to protect them from contracting this virus and and, you know it still amazes me you know and and that just tells me if society as a whole were more hyper vigilant with the way we protect ourselves against this virus, it wouldn't be as prevalent as it is right now. I mean, the proof Absolutely. is in the program yeah. where, 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 you know, we have staff who are working with people who we know are positive. And just because they know these people are positive, they take every precaution to protect themselves. If, if society as a whole did that, I think this virus would, would dwindle quickly. It's very unfortunate that, that we don't. And that we're not more hypervigilant. Yeah, how true, how true that is. And <clears throat> this is sort of a, um example of that, a, a limited example. Patrick, how long are the clients staying in the program? What What's the average length of stay? Uh, it's usually 14 to, to 20 days. They, they have to be symptom and, 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 um, fever-free for, I believe it's five consecutive days. Are they Uh, tested again before they move on, or? uh, Well, they're they're just be, Department of Corrections is just beginning to test before people move on. You know, you have to remember in the beginning, you know, the testing was very difficult, and then then we had the rapid testing, which, which proved very rapidly that it wasn't too accurate most of the time. Right. Um, so, so, so you know, the testing was actually way behind the virus curve on this, and, and everybody's just starting to catch up. 
where where we're able to test more. There's enough available tests. The tests are more reliable. In the beginning, it was it was a scramble even to get tests right for individuals that were in halfway houses. All right. Well, we're almost out of time, but before we let you go, I think it's important, Beth, if I if I could read this quote here from Lisa. Uh, it says, Patrick Fallon demonstrates our agency values such as compassion, courage, and excellence every day in his work at The Connection. We're so proud of the work that he does, not only at our agency, but across the state to improve the lives of returning citizens. You know, um, it is amazing what you're doing, Patrick. And, you know, who knows how much longer you're going to have to keep these facilities open and you're fulfilling a need that, you know, obviously needs to be met. So it was very interesting. We should also mention, too, Beth, that if people want more information on this program or any of the programs that The Connection offers, uh, please go to the website at the connectioninc.org. That's theconnectioninc.org. Well, I just want to say a, a big thank you to Patrick for everything you do every day um, to protect people in Connecticut. And uh, it's always great to work with you. And, and thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you guys for having me. It was our pleasure. And of course, a special thanks to all of you for listening to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.